And now, live, it's time. Which team, by colors alone, is identifiable around the world? It's time for the JT The Brick Show. Which team, by slogan, commitment to excellence? On Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Just win, baby. All those things are the Raiders. Here's your host, JT The Brick. I think this journey is the most special because there's not a lot of people that have the opportunity. You think about where you started in football, playing in high school and college and then pro and then being injured and starting coaching as a young coach. It was in this game under Madden's leadership that the Raiders' pride and poise began to assert itself. I mean, we'd gone through the things where we'd been close and we'd knock on the door, but we never knocked it in, and we finally did. Intercepted by the Oakland Raiders, running around at the 30, 40, 50, he's going all the way! Of all the games I ever coached in my life, it was the greatest feeling in the world. There was nothing that can beat it. John Madden goes on the shoulders of his players. And it's something you have until the day you die. I mean, you're always a Super Bowl champion. And I was never going to coach any other team than the Raiders. Our John Madden tribute show continues. Hour number two. Welcome back, everybody. Got a lot to get to this hour. A couple of guests that I'm excited for you to hear. Uh, Jump on in if you want to get through. 702-365-9200. As we're brought to you by Salmon Ash Injury Law. SalmonAshInjuryLaw.com. Because you deserve what's right. We will also uh, play part of Rich Passaccia's presser, as Tashawn Reed just reported. Rich Passaccia said that the Raiders got Roderick Teamer. Jermaine Illuminor and Brandon Faison back from the COVID list, but Darren Waller was placed on the reserve COVID-19 list today. Darren Waller on the COVID-19 list today. We'll find out more details on the testing portion later this week. We are late in the week already in regards to him having an opportunity to play. That's a blow because it looked like he was coming back ready to play here, but Darren Waller placed on the reserve COVID-19 list today. Breaking news with the Raiders. So when Coach Madden passed away, a couple of people reached out to me. I reached out to a few, and I had the opportunity to talk to Brent Musburger, the play-by-play voice of the Silver and Black, and I asked him to share some stories that he had about Coach Madden. Yeah, JT, uh... You know, sad is the operative word. I was actually uh, watching a bowl game involving Mississippi State and Texas Tech when the scroll on the bottom of the screen, ESPN, broke the news. And I was I was stunned because I know that Fox had done a, a big, big presentation on him uh, regarding the game and his career as a coach and everything on Christmas Day. And I had seen some clips from it in which he seemed as healthy as, as I always remember him. But uh, I go back, you know, honestly, I got to know John more as a broadcaster than as a coach because, as you know, at CBS, we were covering the NFC more than the AFC. So we really didn't get too involved with the then Oakland Raiders until playoff time. But John stepped away from coaching and didn't want to fly in airplanes and came to CBS in the late 70s. And we brought him on board as an analyst and overlooked in the development of John as a broadcaster is who he worked with first. Everyone obviously identifies the Hall of Fame career alongside Pat Summerall, which was perhaps the greatest team in the the history of broadcasting NFL games. But 
John Madden's first partner is someone who deserves a lot of credit for the development of John because, believe me, John didn't know a monitor from a producer from a TV truck when he came to us. And he broadcasted first with a young man by the name of Gary Bender. And Gary was a very, very giving play-by-play guy, outstanding play-by-play man, actually, from Kansas. He did uh, college basketball for us at CBS, NFL football games. And he really taught John the basics of television. And then I'll never forget at CBS, we had a big meeting involving the general manager and about eight of us regarding where John and who he would work with the next season because it was quite clear that John was outstanding. John John had this ability to just communicate with everybody who was watching. It was a, it was a natural ability. He didn't talk down to people. He talked to them. Uh, he developed the obvious great storylines. But we had Vince Scully as a play-by-play man along with uh, Pat Summerall, and there was disagreement within the CBS family as to who – John should work with the next year. And it was very, very close in that room. Uh, Van Gordon Sauter, who was in that president of CBS, actually wanted to work with Ben Scully, feeling that Scully was the greatest play-by-play man who ever lived and that John would be a, a great uh, partner of his. But a slight majority in the room said that John would have more airtime if he worked with Summerall. And that's how that marriage came to be. And it, uh, it worked out tremendously because Pat was very giving and, and John had the kind of room that he needed to go boom and develop little sideline stories on the bench and everything. I, I still tell every young broadcaster, JT, who comes along, go back and get a couple of tapes of John Madden games with Summerall and just sit there and listen and, and you will pick up some tips from John Madden because he did things that most analysts even today uh, fail to do during a broadcast. He was a he was a natural communicator, so once he saddled up with Summerall, the rest is history. But I'll never forget, we were doing the 1980, uh, I should say 1980 Super Bowl between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Los Angeles Rams out of the Rose Bowl, and Terry Bradshaw was then the quarterback of the Steelers, Vince Ferragamo for the Rams, and we signed up John and George Allen uh, for the pregame show. And so the three of us went to the rooftop, uh, top the the Rose Bowl, and we had sort of a Jimmy the Greek board in which they talked about the strengths and the weaknesses of the two teams. And and John was just magnificent when he did it. And it was the last time that Pat Summerall and Tom Brookshire would work a Super Bowl because John would then team up with with Pat Summerall. And later on, oh, a couple, two, three years later, we had a playoff game in Chicago involving the Bears. I felt sorry for John because he didn't fly, came back to New York on trains at that time. He didn't have his private bus. So I said, John, I'll go with you. And and so I took a train trip back and we hit a snowstorm. We were delayed in upstate New York and I don't know what should have been a day and a half. It took us two and a half days to get back into uh, New York, uh, down below there, Grand Central. <laughs> And I said, John, I love you, but that's the last train trip I've been taking with you. <laughs> and uh, he laughed also. He was, he was, uh, JT, he was a man of the people. And it's interesting to me how many youngsters today identify him with the game more than, more than anything else. They play the, the Madden football. And uh, 
I have so many, many warm memories uh, about being John, but he was just, and I'm assuming, JT, I'm assuming with the Raiders, you know, that was a group of rascals back in the day. I mean, that was, that was a hard-living football team that won the Super Bowl, quarterbacked by Ken Stabler. But I'm assuming his ability to communicate with large audiences was probably the same with individual football players, that they just enjoyed being around him. And, and John wouldn't mind going and, and getting right in their face mask and telling them what they had to do to become better football players. I just think I think it was an unbelievable communicator, and it's a, it's a sad, sad night because uh, certainly there was no indication that he was ill at any time that I'm aware of. Maybe some other people were. And, and so the, the memories of John uh, JT are going to live on forever. Brent Musburger is our guest. Brent, what I'm fascinated by, as you went to multiple networks and found tremendous success, John was able to do that also. And you hear today about young broadcasters in politics. A new broadcaster is a hot shot, and then he wants to take a deal and go somewhere else. How was John Madden able to go from network to network and be beloved by all of those network executives, partners, and then transcend those networks and make them all better? You know, John never bigfooted anybody, to tell you the truth. Uh, what you saw is what you got with, uh, with John Madden. And I will tell you, though, it would have been, JT, it would have been a one-network experience with John, except that CBS lost the rights to the NFC, and Fox took the contract away when Rupert Murdoch wanted to move big time uh, into televising the National Football League uh, with the Fox Network. And that's when John made his first move uh, over to Fox. So most most of that initial group of broadcasters who came to Fox, they were our CBS guys who had been there, and there's still many of them, producing and directing games. But, but John's character uh, was that, you know, he just never lorded over anybody. He loved everybody. Uh, you would travel on a bus. I know that Bob Stenner produced him for a long time. Uh, we took many, many bus trips with him. And it, John would stop at the roadside, get off the bus, and people, of course, would, hey, John Madden, got to get an autograph. Back in those days, there weren't that many cell phones. But uh, but John was always pleasant with everybody, with the fans. And uh, he, he was just, he was a man of the people. And uh, and that served him so so very well, J.T., you know, Brian, it's fascinating to me because of the roots with Al Davis. And if you look at the connection mm-hmm. of Al Davis, I'm looking at a picture with Coach Madden and Bill Walsh and all the legends. And then you find out that he consulted with Bill Parcells almost daily or weekly. And he had the radio show, as you know, in the Bay Area in San Francisco. Then Belichick talks about him as one of the icons, and he thinks Belichick's an icon on the documentary. Coach Madden, a father, a, a grandfather, a great husband, he spent a lot of time. Can you share with this consulting and talking to football minds and young coaches and especially broadcasters who all looked up to him and wanted to be someone that they could look and ask him questions, and he always seemed to have time for everyone, Brett. No, that is absolutely true. And uh, people, other coaches, would give them John's phone number and uh, say, listen, give, give John a call. He'd love to talk to you. And even though he didn't know them, they would, they would call John out of the blue, and, and he would spend a lot of time uh, talking to the young coach. Always, 
always available. But you mentioned a name that deserves a lot of credit uh, for the success of John Madden, and that's Al Davis. Let us not forget that Al was in his prime uh, when he puts John in charge of the Raiders, and they go on to play in many AFC championship games and break through and win the Super Bowl. But believe me, there wasn't a day in the office of the Raiders that Al Davis wasn't talking football with John Madden. You and I know that uh, for a fact. And so it was that relationship. John was able to get along well with Al and, and never never fought him when he had certain ideas and wanted to do certain things with the team and and took it and used it to his advantage. But then later on, it was John who passed on the same kind of knowledge to other young coaches and even the, and even then broadcasters who would uh, who would get in touch with him. But uh, what what the young broadcaster should do now is get a videotape of of a couple of the games that John Madden broadcast and and listen to how he did it, uh, when he talked, how he used the monitor to his advantage, uh, didn't speak without knowing exactly what had gone on in the field. John's one of the few broadcasters who understood that the camera sees a lot more than the naked eye. John knew that because he was a great coach, and he would wait until he saw the All-22 after a game before he made decisions about what had gone on on the field. Uh, What you think you see, sometimes you really don't see, and John Madden understood that better than anybody. Brent Musburger, as we wrap it up. Brent, one more football coaching question. I think some of the young fans have no idea how many big games he lost working for Al Davis and how demanding Mr. Davis was, and then having to go back to the championship game, always go back to the playoffs and never win the big one until they broke through in the 76 season and won the first Super Bowl, Super Bowl 11 and 77. You could imagine, because he waited too long to become a Hall of Famer. I really thought that was a massive mistake by the Pro Football Hall of Fame until he finally got in. But think of those games where his teams were probably better and they lost to the team in the AFC that went on to easily win the Super Bowl, the Steeler battles, what happened early on with the Jets, all those great rivalry games where Coach Madden, fair to say, could have had three or four Super Bowls on his own instead of one, and he was still a Hall of Famer. Yeah, exactly, JT, and he should have been a Hall of Famer immediately. But but it speaks, I think it speaks to how good John Madden was that Al Davis didn't overreact on any of those championship game yes. losses. Uh, in other words, he kept John because he knew what he had. And that's, that speaks to Al Davis's uh, intuition about, about John Madden. The, the one game that John Madden never forgot to tell you the truth, because he talked a lot to me about it was the Franco Harris game. Uh, John always thought that that ball hit the ground and uh, that it should have been an incomplete pass when he lost that game uh, to the Steelers that day. It was it was the one time John never lamented the other tough losses that they had. He never complained about anything, but he always talked about that play to me when we reviewed the uh, the great contest. And of course, that was such a great Steeler team uh, back in the day, coached by Chuck Knoll, one of the greatest rivalries in the history of the NFL. Uh, but John, John was able to overcome it. And then, as you say, you know, they went on and, and they won the Super Bowl. And, you know, your dear friend, Fred Bolitnikoff, uh, one of the great players, one of the greatest receivers of all time, uh, was on that. You can go, but if you go take a look at that defensive team for the Raiders, 
I can only imagine, I can only imagine the problems that John Madden had to deal with with that group of rascals, and he brought them home, and, and they finally won the Super Bowl for the Raiders, a magnificent moment. And the other thing about him, uh, which, which I think says a lot about John, and it's the picture that most of us never forget about him on the sideline, is he always had the sideline pass, the game pass attached to his belt. That was John Madden. I mean, he, did, he didn't need a credential to get on the field. I knew who he was back. Now, John wanted that credential right there so that when he came to the gate, everybody knew he was legal and he had his credential. I can still see it flying in the wind at the Oakland Coliseum, and so can you, my friend. <laughs> Thank you, Brent. Really appreciate you doing this on an emotional night. Thank you so much for your friendship. What you mean to us, the Raider Nation, all of our listeners. Thank you again, and I'll see you uh, pretty soon here for a Raider game. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks, JJ. The great Brent Musburger. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. First guy I talked to after the passing of Coach Madden. And he brings a lot of clarity to the broadcasting world. Those stories are deep and amazing. Thanks to Brent Musburger. Catch him on the call on Sunday. So Rich Passaccia, head coach of the Raiders. I'll be interviewing him tomorrow. He just spoke to the media in Henderson. Let me get started with um, certainly our, our thoughts and prayers with Coach Madden's um, family. Um, you know, we lost an icon in the world of football, certainly in, um, in the National Football League, but really um, the, the world of football has lost an icon. And, and um, it's, it's hard to say that um, you can find another person that has gone through all the genres that he's gone through and been ultra successful like that. Um, I had a chance to meet him when I was a young coach in the NFL in Tampa and came through and I just had a chance to to shake his hand and it was kind of like my hand disappeared. You know, he was such a big man and he, he lit up the room and he had this way in which he made everyone else in the room feel really good about themselves and you're actually excited about meeting Coach Madden. And um, in my conversation with owner Mark yesterday, you know, his comment was, you know, he's a Raider. And... Um, so I certainly understand that and, and um, have a great understanding of what a Raider is, uh, certainly by the example that Coach Madden left here along with the entire National Football League. So it's a great loss. And again, our thoughts and prayers are with his family. And um, with that, I'll just I'll let you know that we, you know, we got a couple of players back today and Teamer and, and uh, Jermaine Illuminor and, and uh, Brandon Faison today off of COVID. Um, it was a pretty good practice. Uh, Jonathan Hankins was limited today, but did go through most of the practice with his back. Uh, Quentin Jefferson had a vet day today. He met with our strength coach, did some work with him. And um, as of right now, Darren Waller is in the uh, COVID protocol. We'll know more about that as the week goes on. All right, so that's the update from Ritz Passaccia, Darren Waller. The big piece of information there at the end, he's in COVID protocol. Vaccinated. The question is how quickly can he can come back if he tests negative before the game as he has to do that by Saturday for the game on Sunday. Don't know. Don't know. Uh, there was a lot of talk around the league. There are a lot of people pissed off. A lot of people pissed off about the rule change for the vac- unvaccinated Carson Wentz who should have been out for 10 days under the protocol, which was the entire year. That was the fair protocol that took Aaron Rodgers out. Remember, Aaron Rodgers was immunized, not vaccinated, and he had to sit out for 10 days, slap on the wrist for dressing up as a Halloween John Wick. Barely fined. It was a joke. 
The league was a joke when it came to Aaron Rodgers. And on the day, on the day that Carson Wentz goes into COVID protocol, miraculously, the entire rule for the season, which all unvaccinated players had to follow, remember, there should be a penalty phase for unvaccinated people. Period. In everything. You want to talk about an airline, restaurant, movie theaters, whatever you want to do. Can't go to a Raider game unless you're vaccinated. Unvaccinated people play by different rules going forward because 200 million people in this country got vaccinated to try to stop this pandemic. And we're trying to, and it's not working perfectly, but all those people went in. So the unvaccinated are supposed to play by different rules in sports. I always tie it back to sports. We threw that out. The Carson Wentz rule, I now call it. Incredible year what's happening here. And for those who say, well, the Raiders are complaining. No, no, no. The Raiders want to hold people accountable for the issues of what's happening here. Again, Derek Carr, I don't know. He got vaccinated. So he wouldn't put himself in this position where he would have to miss 10 days. Carson Wentz did, and he has a chance to play. Raider fans should be furious about this. We want Carson Wentz not to be with COVID, but the fact that he was unvaccinated put him in this position, and the league took him off the hook. We'll talk to Monty Johnson coming up, the Raider legendary linebacker. So the head coach normally was standing in the middle of the field, but John always sauntered down to where we were and laughing and kidding back and forth. And uh, we used to give him a hard time. And uh, But he was well-respected by everybody on that football team. Everybody. Archell and a lot of Raider legends are stepping up, talking about their coach, the great John Madden. Raider Nation Radio, it's our John Madden tribute show. We welcome in Monty Johnson, the great linebacker of the world champion for the Oakland Raiders, who had a big influence on a lot of Raider fans and a great relationship with Coach Madden. Monty, again, condolences to you and your family as we begin for the loss of your coach. We appreciate you joining us. Uh, thanks, JT. Um, appreciate that, those words. Appreciate being able to participate and help in, in any way feel for Virginia and Joe and Michael and their family, praying for them. Um, we lost a, an important person today. Yeah, Monty, he had a huge impact on your life. You were a champion in college. You come to the Raiders. You play in the greatest and the biggest of games. You're trying to break through. You end up winning the Super Bowl off the 76 season into the beginning of 77. But I want to talk about your relationship with Coach. When did it start initially? What was the first meeting like? What were some of the early memories? Well, it, it, it goes all the way to my rookie year, obviously. Um, I remember when I got drafted, uh, and they, um, Mr. Davis wanted to, for me to play linebacker, and I had never played linebacker before. And so they... They flew me out to Oakland, and they decided they were going to find out, you know, whether or not what they've done is going to work or not. And I don't have any football shoes. All I've got is a pair of what are turf shoes that because at Nebraska that's we played on astroturf. Mm -hmm. And so we go out to the practice field, and they've got a quarterback and a running back, 
And that guy starts running some patterns, and I am slipping and sliding all over the place. And Don Shinnick is trying to, you know, talk to me in one ear, and and I look over at the sideline, and there is uh, Mr. Da- uh, Davis, Coach Madden, and they're all kind of watching the situation. And John is just shaking his head left and right. And I thought to myself, Oh my gosh, he's probably wondering what in the world have they done? And so then I get a pair of, then they finally get me a pair of shoes with some spikes on it, and all of a sudden. I'm listening, watching, reacting, doing the things. And I step in front of the running back and, you know, I don't catch the ball, but I knock it down. And I looked over there and all of a sudden there was a little bit of a smile on John's face. And then you fast forward, um, you know, we were playing uh, Pittsburgh that year in the first playoff game. And at the, towards the end of the game, Villapiano got hurt. He sprained his ankle really bad, and so I went in and finished the game. We we were winning at that point, like thirty three to seven. It was the game was over with, and the last play of the game, close to the last play of the game, Bradshaw throws up a hail mary into the end zone, and one of the receivers catches it, and you know for a touchdown. And then all of a sudden, the game is over with, and we're heading into the locker room. And because Phil's ankle has been sprained really, really bad, I'm practicing all week long with the first team, thinking I may be starting in the AFC Championship game as a rookie. And John walks over to me. <laughs> I had no idea what what he wanted to say or what he wanted to do. And he says, uh, "Hey, are are you getting ready? Are you, you know you're looking over the your playbook and." I said, yes, sir. I said, you know, things are going well. We're getting, I'm ready to play. I'm not going to let you down. And I'm trying to think of all the right things I was supposed to say. And he says, uh, you know, that last uh, play of the game last week, the guys are saying that uh, that touchdown that Pittsburgh scored, that, that was your fault. And they're kind of worried and nervous about you starting and playing in this game. And I am just beside myself. And I'm going, what? <laughs> no, I'm, I, I, John, honest. I mean, I, you know, it was a, I did everything I possibly could and I'll, I'll, I'll make sure I can do everything I can that nothing like that ever happens again. So he walks away and I go over to Don Shinnick, the linebacker coach. And I'm, Don wants to know what John wanted to talk to me about. And I told him, he says, Monty, look. And I looked over there and John is over there with the offensive coaches and he just told them what he had told me. And he was pulling my chain left and right. The guys weren't saying anything about me. But that was John's way of getting me to relax and getting me to calm down and letting me know that, that I was part of the family um, uh, through that experience in that situation. Monty Johnson joins us, the famed linebacker of the Raiders, Super Bowl champion. Monty, what did he do personally to motivate you and coach you up to be a better linebacker and a world champion? He believed in me, first of all and foremost. He, he, not just me, but every, every, every player on the team, he believed in every one of them. And he gave us the, the freedom to be able to be – and do the things that we thought were the right things to do. And um, I remember the uh, in 75, um, I learned probably one of the greatest lessons of life as a result of a situation that I had with John. Um, I got hurt in a Denver game, and 
was questionable whether or not I was going to be able to play the next week. And so, you know, the rule was that if you don't practice on defensive day, then, you know, you're not going to be able to, you know, probably not going to start the following week uh, on Sunday. And so um, I had been pretty banged up. It was, it was questionable whether or not I was going to be able to play. And, uh, but I recovered and, and began to respond to the therapy that was there. And so I was going to be available to go out for defensive day. And I get into the locker room and I hear some of the guys talking and I overhear them saying something that, yeah, Ted's going to start for Monty on Sunday. And I got livid. I just got furious. You know, here I am 24 years old, think that I'm, you know, the king of the universe, et cetera. And I go storming into the coach's locker room and I want to, I said, I want to talk to coach Matt. I want to talk to John. So John comes walking out, sits at his desk very calmly, and he says, Monty, what's going on? And I said, is it true? Is it true? I'm not starting on Sunday? He goes, uh, yes, it is. And I pouted like a little two-year-old, kicked the chair that I was sitting in, turned around and walked out. And in a very calm voice, I heard John say, Monty, it would be a good idea for you to come back here and sit down. If you don't, it's going to cost you $5,000 for every minute that you're not in this room. <laughs> wow. Got my attention. I came back and sat down. And he says, do you have a quarter? And I said, yes. He said, well, show it to me. So I reached in my pocket and pulled it out. He goes, what do you see? And I go, well, I see a quarter. And he says, no, Monty, that's what it is. I asked you, what do you see? And I said, well, I see George Washington. I see, and God we trust, I see the date. And he says, I don't see any of that. And I said, well, that's because you're looking at the... And I stopped, and I realized he was teaching me something. He says, yeah, I'm looking at the other side, Monty, and I don't see anything that you're looking at. And then one of the keys to leadership is for you to be able to learn, to understand that there's two sides to every situation. Hmm. And it's a good idea to find out what that is before you react. Monty Johnson's our guest. I have never forgotten that. Yeah, that's a tremendous learning moment there by John Madden. Hey, Monty, as we're limited on time, the last question I want to ask is, what did you learn about the rest of your life after you left Coach Madden as a player and went on to be a husband and a father and your family and all that. What was the life lesson that Coach Madden taught you? Family. You know, when I was uh, when I came into the to the team, I was always used to calling my previous coaches, you know, coach, you know, or you know, Coach Devaney, you know, Coach Kiffin, et cetera. And but John was called John. And when you made the team, it became John. And it kind of befuddled me and I was trying to understand. And then I began to realize is that family call family members by their first name. And he wanted us to know that we were a family. And that was one of the things that I shared with my kids when we were growing up, um, that, that blood is thicker than water and that we will always stick up and stand up for each other no matter what. And that was something that always happened with the Raiders. Yeah, Monty, we talked to Phil Villapiano today, Matt Millen. We were thrilled to get you on because when we see the great videos and the history of the Raiders, 
we see you often standing behind Coach Madden in the biggest of games, making big plays, and you're kind of like a fraternity brother. You know, that's the way I look at it. I was in college. I didn't play football. I didn't play in the NFL, but I was in a fraternity. And it seems like with the message you're sending to the alumni and what you're saying today, you're one of the leaders of this fraternity that lost your mentor. And you want everybody to know about this man, John Madden, and the impact he had on your life. JT, I could go on and on and on. Stories and situations and experiences. You know, there were times that John just wanted to chat. There were Mm -hmm. times that he wanted to pull your string, you you know, get underneath your uh, dander. Uh, or he just wanted to, um, you know, reminisce or talk about things. And, you know, he, uh, we're sitting in the locker room after the uh, New England playoff game and at, and uh, in the 76 season, and he comes in and sits down next to me, and we just start talking about how great a game that was. And I just will never forget that he said that this was a great game and a big game. I said, if we can – if I knew that if we can get past – uh, New England, that this is going to be our year. And I, I, I was always, you know, we'd been tripped up by Miami and Pittsburgh in the previous two years, three years. And so now we find ourselves in that situation. And he was right. right. He really believed if we, if we won that game, that game against the Patriots, that we were going to, we were going to make it to the Super Bowl, And if we got there, we were going to win. And, and he did. was right. Monty, God bless you. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for making time on such an important day. The Raider Nation greatly appreciates it. Thanks you much, y'all. Take Once care. Once a Raider, always a Raider. You got it. Monty Johnson, one of the most esteemed and respected Raiders. And just for reference here, I saw some correspondence from him to some of his teammates. I'll keep private. That guy is a leader. He's an undisputed leader of that time. I'm happy we were able to get him on today. You know, we're celebrating Coach Madden. We're celebrating his life because he lived a long life to 85 and he had tremendous accomplishments. Coming up next, a Hall of Fame perspective from Steve Weish from NFL Network. He wanted to jump on. We're fortunate to fit him in. It's our John Madden tribute special. We appreciate you joining us. And we're all praying for Virginia and the family. Godspeed to John Madden. Not only did he win championships, but you look at the wins that he put together and how many AFC championship games and, and divisional playoff games and all this that they won, you know what I mean? I mean, that will never be matched in the Raiders' history, I don't believe, for sure. Tim Brown, as he was on NFL Radio on Sirius XM, Jay back with you as we wrap up our tribute show to John Madden, and we'll do more tomorrow. I'm expecting Fred Bolitnikoff, a lot of other a legends to check in here, but we wanted to make sure we did a big show for you today. And we're able to get Steve Weish in from NFL Network. What a great job he does. And Steve, I wish we were talking under better circumstances, but I wanted to get your perspective today. How are you? Hey, JT. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you having me on at a time like this um, because, you know, it's unfortunate the passing of Coach Madden, but at the same time, you know this, I know this there may not be anybody in the history of the game that touched as many bases and touched as many lives as, as coach Madden did due to the special game that we love, we report on and that we really belong to. Yeah. It was really important for me to talk to you because of your history 
with the league and your connection to the Hall of Fame, but also as a broadcaster and understanding the gravity of his impact, first as a coach and a broadcaster. And I'm going to start and go backwards and start as the broadcaster. What impresses you the most about his legacy as a broadcaster, not so much calling games, but also the friendships he had going from network to network to network and being a star at every stop he stopped at along the way. Well, that, that's what he was because, you know, remember coming up in like the 60s and 70s, the broadcasters, they had a trained voice. They had the trained kind of lane that they stayed in. Okay, you only say this, you only do it this way. Well, here's this Goliath of a man who was a former coach who broadcasted in like his coaching voice. You know, just all of the, the, the theatrical elements to it. But he was also educational, right? And I'm, that, that's me. That is my style. When I report, I try to educate. That is number one in my book. It is always what doesn't the viewer or the reader know that I can give them. And that's what John Madden, that's what all of us who love that perspective take from him. Besides, again, the, the, just the energy and the excitement that he brought to the game and then, JT, you know, the Madden Cruiser, right, his fear of flying. So they had this bus, and you talk to so many players um, who may have hated dealing with the media but who could not wait to get on the Madden bus to chat with him because they chatted football, they understood the gravity and the enormity of his, his place in the business and kind of what him talking to you could do for you personally, for your branding, and just kind of for, again, the educational element of this game. Steve Weiss is our guest. Steve, the the knowledge from Al Davis, even before that, high school and college, his education, uh, being a teacher, getting his master's degree, he was a really sharp guy. And I think, you know, in the broadcast world that I am in and that you're in, you got to be sharp to survive. You just got, there's agents and there could be an executive at one place that says, I just don't get that guy. I'd rather have my friend, this guy. And that's never happened to coach Madden. He came in you saw on the documentary, which I know NFL network's going to air also that in the beginning, he looked like he didn't belong when he started with Costas and Vince Scully and he had to work his way through it. And after year one, they decide he's so great. They're going to pair him with Pat Summerall. And then it's off to the races. He was one of the special guys, like I, like how Tony Romo is yeah. today, right? I mean, there, there's nobody in between then in terms of, again, the energy they brought, the anticipation of the play. You know, Madden was the first guy to really break out the telestrator. Here's what we're trying to see, and here's what's going to happen in this situation. Like, no one had done that before. You know, nobody was really breaking it down, the X's and O's, that those of us who played at any level um, kind of understood but then those who didn't ever play the game, how they could now be brought into that world. And, 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 and that was what was just so fantastic. You know, again, I'm, I'm old enough where I remember him as a coach. I will always remember him as a coach first because he coached in the era of the coaching Titans, right? It was him. It was Bud Grant. It was Tom Landry and Don Shula and, and, and Chuck Knoll, right? These are the, the Titans of the game. And he was right there with them. And then to watch them do this, all the way up into, you know, dealing with him a couple of years ago at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Um, no, like I said, nobody transcends so many different elements of the sport and of these lives and of just decades of time like John Madden. Steve Weiss is our guest, reporter and analyst and host for NFL Network. Steve, you know as good as anybody how Raider fans rightfully complain about the weight 
of Flores, Stabler. We're waiting on the Cliff Branch news. And then it goes back to Coach Madden. Yeah. And I like to, as a fan, I like to consider myself an historian of the Hall of Fame. You're actually involved in it. And I go back and I scratch my head as Coach talked about being on the first ballot, being a finalist. And then he laughed. He goes, I didn't hear from him for 20 years. Yeah. And I, I know that the process has been cleaned up here a bit, but walk me through what you knew about that process, especially with the Al Davis connection and why it took Coach Madden so long to be inducted. Well, you know, I, I wasn't really involved with the Hall of Fame then, but I can kind of give you mm-hmm. my framework on it. And that's, and that's, it was hard for coaches to get in. It, you know, they always, it was always the players before the coaches. You know, it wasn't until seven or eight years ago before we had the coaches and the, and the senior and the contributor categories, right, where they could get more coaches in, as we've seen guys like Jimmy Johnson and uh, Bill Cower and Tony Dungy come in in that category. Before, coaches were competing with great players to get in, and that's why it was much more difficult um, for coaches to get recognized when you're saying, okay, are we going to put in John Madden or are we going to put in, you know, Terry Bradshaw? Right. And so that was, that was probably the process that he had to go through and wait as long as he did before he got in. It was a long process, but worked the wait. He was so happy when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. You know, I, Steve, I keep, continue to talk about how all the networks are coming together now. Can you touch on this after the Fox documentary and not waiting till January 3rd and everybody being able to stream it or show it across NFL Network, Peacock, FS1 again? Uh, that's pretty rare. <laughs> you have a guy like this and everybody says, look, networks back down. Everybody take this great documentary and run with it. And everybody, please, from the commissioner on down, talk about John Madden and his legacy heading into this weekend. Well, that's, that's, you know, there you go. There, there's a unification of a cutthroat industry, of a cutthroat business. There, there's, okay, that's the stand down, right? This is the truth because of John Madden. And, again, he touched everyone from players to coaches to executives to fans to people who grew up playing his video games, right? So many of today's people have no idea who John Madden is except through his video games. Everybody you know, for, for two or three generations now, know of the video games. Then they know him as a broadcaster. So, you know, you understand why everybody wants to showcase and highlight this man because so many of us know of him. And then this documentary, this documentary and everything tells you who he is and what he was about and how he got here and just his impact on the game, because everyone will feel it. Everyone will understand it. Like a lot of times you watch documentaries, you don't understand this person's place in the world. Okay, they're showing me a little bit about this or that. You will understand John Madden's place in in, in the football world because of everything he did, and you know something about him when this documentary and all these pieces bring everything together. Steve, finally, a couple of football questions. Again, not to complain, but a lot of fans around football are saying, wait a second, Carson Wentz was unvaccinated. So CDC going from 10 to 5, whatever it is, the league moved back games for Cleveland, and the Raiders had to get off the bus and fly out at a different time. The game was played on Monday, and Baker Mayfield couldn't test negative and play in this game. Then a lot of people of a lot of different teams, including New Orleans, are saying, wait a second, we had to play our game. It wasn't moved back, and now the protocol changes for unvaccinated players. I was a bit surprised by that, especially the day it was announced on the rule change, the day that Carson Wentz got put on COVID protocol. How do you see it? 
Hey, man, <laughs> this is one where I am like, I don't get it, you know, but this is the, it's not just the league making this decision. It's the league and it's players, right? So this is one where, like you said, there are going to be teams who are going to be furious because, you know, they stressed doing things the right way. And this is, and they got, and they, like you said, I was, I was, I covered that Raiders game that got postponed in Cleveland. Yeah. Right. And so your Cleveland guys are like, well, we could have guys who could have played in that game and we could have played it on time. And the Raiders could have been like, we wanted to play it on time and we got pushed back. You know, there's a lot of teams and players who are going to say that. I'm sure there's some people saying, like, what was the purpose of all of this? Because remember, unvaccinated players have been held to a far different standard than vaccinated players throughout this whole process. And so there's some people saying it, but now <laughs> everyone's just like, hey, we're going to have the best players on the field at the most important time. Everything that's happened in the past, that's in the past. Let's go ahead and, and let's, let's finish out the season strong. So there's going to be different opinions. You know, look, and the one thing about this pandemic that we do have to understand is that it's been an evolving process. So I guess this is just another, uh, I guess, you know, shifting of the goalpost in this evolving process. I'm just sitting back and waiting on it and understanding it because as members of the media, we've had to evolve with this as mm -hmm. well. Um, we, things are far more restrictive for us than they are for the players now. So I think that part's uh, interesting as well. Hey, last one. It's great to see these division games, the last game, when the league decided to go with that, and it's just a standard now. I'm looking at the AFC North, and the, these playoff yeah. scenario, scenarios are wild, and it's great for fans and everybody, even like the Browns that are in last place in the division, can go to first with a couple of wins and a little bit of help. That, that to me, that's a division. You have yeah. to you have to play every game. So here's the Ravens, who you talk about a team that's been affected by the COVID protocol. So here's the Ravens now. They lose one game, they could be out. The Browns win both, they're in, right? So their final game is against the Bengals, who lead it now. And then somehow the Steelers are in it, and you're saying this has got to be the luckiest team in football because they're not very good, and they're still in it. And, JT, here's another one. You know, you're – you're close to the Raiders. That game against the Chargers, I mean, that, that, that to end the season, that's a huge, that could be a huge, yeah. huge game in terms of a wild card berth. And the Chargers could lament that loss to Houston last week like no other team if they end up not getting into the playoffs, um, you know, just because of that, that's the game that could have swung it for them. Thanks, Steve. We're always watching. You do a great job. Happy New Year to your family. Hope to see you in L.A. in a couple of weeks, and thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on, JT. Appreciate you, Steve. Steve Weiss, nice to get him in. Great job by Bobby being the maestro today, uh, booking these guests. I want to thank Shannon Jordan, Mike Taylor, everybody over at the Raiders for getting us the alumni today and getting it to us quickly so we could do that tribute show to the best of our ability. All of our partners will thank you tomorrow as we thank you every day and can't thank you enough. But tomorrow, extra juice. And tomorrow's our last show of the year. And Bobby was just reminding me, this year we did a tribute show because of the passing of John Madden, Black Hole Rob Rivera, and Ricky Ricardo. That's tough. And a lot of players were lost and families affected. So pretty dramatic year, but we're going to get into the football game tomorrow. There's a lot happening with protocol, the injury list, Vinny Bonsignor, the potential for the Raider-Charger game to be flexed into Sunday night football if the Raiders win at Indy. The status of Carson Wentz, Darren Waller on the COVID list, 
Busy couple of days here to wrap up the year. Thanks for listening, everybody. God bless John Madden.